So today, uh, the risk of stating the obvious is, is Easter, the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus. And, uh, and next week, is, so a week from today, is when the, the Eastern Church, so the Eastern Orthodox, so there's, there's two kind of two weird ways. There's, there, there's the West and there's the East. And, uh, and the Eastern Orthodox Churches, they'll, they'll celebrate Easter next week. In fact, uh, I was mentioned, talking with Jeff a couple of years ago, when we went to Israel, we actually celebrated Easter here, the Western Easter, and then we got on a plane, went to Israel, and the next Sunday it was Easter there. So we're like, oh, we got, we got two Easters this year, and, and Gene was there as well. And, uh, and, and so, but you think about this, over the week, over the next, this week, literally billions of people will be celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. Billions. And as Christianity has continued to grow, it means that this year is, is the, the largest celebration the world has ever seen on, on uh, this week about the celebration of Jesus. In other words, the, the celebration is not, is not waning, it's actually gaining speed. And hopefully our prayer is, is that next year, even more people will be celebrating the resurrection of Jesus than, than this year at this time. And so you are, you are part of history in some sense. It's interesting, though, is we currently live in a culture that is trying to move things like the resurrection to the, to the fringes. You go, wow, this, this idea of, of the resurrection, this is, this is crazy. This is outlandish. You go, well, yeah, it is, it is crazy. It is outlandish, but that doesn't make it uh, any less true. But why can't we just, can we just push that to the fringes? And let's talk about things that we can agree on. Things like he was a good teacher. He performed many miracles. He gave us a model in the way in which we should live our lives. And maybe even, like we, we're going to get really bold here, but he even taught us how to die for something larger than ourselves. Okay, yeah, but can we just push the, the resurrection out to the, to the fringes? But the, the problem is, is that, is that the, there's great joy and there's a great importance that the resurrection plays in the Christian life. And so, but the question is, is why is the resurrection important? And why is there, is there joy found in it? I mean, you could go out of here and, and just ask somebody, why is the resurrection important? Ask a Christian, why is the resurrection important? No, it, just, it is. But even more than that, why, why should I find joy in the resurrection? I mean, you think about this, right? I mean, just, just from, a, from, a, from a secular standpoint, just from a, a world standpoint, is that seemingly a, an unknown Jewish man 2,000 years ago in a pretty insignificant part of the world died and then some of his insignificant, seemingly insignificant <laughs> followers made some claims that he did not, that he died, but he rose again. And then one thing led to another, one thing led to another, and then 2,000 years later, thousands of miles away in a warehouse space, they have a brunch and, <laughs> and, and, and gather uh, for the celebration of this, this resurrection. Don't you think that's odd? And they have great joy in it. Because I could see it limited, right? I mean, you think about like, 
if somebody in your family died, say like you had an aunt that died, and you went to you went to her service, her her memorial, and at the memorial, boom, she pops up out of the casket. Whoa, like that'd be crazy, right? I mean, that would be absolutely insane. And after you got done being freaked out and shocked, be like, this is. This is great. Like, this is great. And the wake is like now awake, right? It's like everyone's excited. There is great joy, reason to celebrate. And you're going to tell that story, right? That's a story that you're going to tell. Let me tell you about the time I went to Aunt Sally's memorial service. We thought she was dead, and she was dead. And then, boom, popped up out of the casket. Everybody lost their minds. But just to be honest, is that you would tell that story and that would be, so there'd be great joy in that story and that would be an important part of your family, of their family's story. But I would submit to you that I think that what would happen over time is that the story would be told less and less, less and less joy, and it would just kind of fade away. I mean, who knows? Maybe, 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 possibly, maybe your your great, 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 great grandfather did rise from the grave. We don't know. Probably not. But the story would fade. I'll tell you what it wouldn't do. It wouldn't pick up speed. It, it, so this this should alert us to something that something different. Something different is about this. Because because if it was just a man, then then why did it not fade? Why is, it, why is it picking up speed and, and the celebration the largest it's ever been? You go, why? Because, well, the resurrection is incredibly important to Christianity and it is the source of joy. But why? That's the question I want to answer this morning. Why is it important and why is it the source of Christian joy? To do that, I want to take you to uh, a letter this morning written by the Apostle Peter, so one of Jesus' disciples. The one that denied him, he wrote, he wrote a letter. He wrote a couple letters. And um, they were really, this is a letter that was, was written to a people who were suffering because they aligned themselves with Jesus. Now, we live in a culture still, I know you people, well, it's changing maybe, but we still live in a culture where we expect we have the expectation that if we follow Jesus, things will generally go better for us. If I follow Jesus, things will typically go better. If I follow Jesus, you know, have a better marriage. If I follow Jesus, you know, be a better parent. You know, follow Jesus, be a better student. Whatever that would be, we have this idea that if we follow Jesus, that things will generally go better for us. But what if that's not true? Or what if, as the people in the letter, the, the, the recipients of the letter, what if because you are following Jesus, things are going worse for you, seemingly? And actually, if you were to deny Jesus, like, the suffering would go away. What do you do there? I mean, I did, like this morning, as I, as I got up and, 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 and saw the news, I thought what, and about churches being blown up in Sri Lanka on Easter Sunday, I go, would I, would I go to church? You know, we, 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 we go because we think things will generally go better for us, but what if they don't? And this is the list. So how do you encourage these people? You can't tell them like, hey, just, just give up on Jesus because the, you know, he's not going to tell them. How do you encourage these people? And so if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter, chapter 1. That's the beginning of the letter. 
And we're going to start in verse 3. Right after just the, 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 the brief greeting. Blessed be the God Father, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed at, uh, in the last time. Doesn't that sound great? Doesn't that sound amazing? To which you might think like, yeah. But what did he just say? I don't know. But it sounded really, really good. It's got a lot of words that I like in there. I saw mercy. I like mercy. Born again. Living hope. I love living hope. Imperishable, undefiled, unfading. God's power guarded by salvation yet to be revealed. What did he say? Interesting that when he is writing this letter to these people who are suffering because they align themselves with Jesus, is how does he start it? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be God. It's a hard place when you're suffering, right? Suffering. Blessed be God. I thought about those, those places when you're at work, you're in school, you're having a bad day. You're just sitting there thinking about your bad day. And somebody comes in and just goes, isn't today a great day? You go, oh no, 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 no. I can't even do this right now. Like, I can't, no, no. You're one of those, no, no. Blessed be God. But he doesn't just say, blessed be God. He gives us all of the reasons why we should do it. Why? why? Do, tell, me, tell me this, Peter. Why, if things are bad. I've aligned myself with Jesus. Things have gotten worse. Why should I ever, why should I say, blessed be God, the, the, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ? And this is what he says. By his great mercy, he has caused you to be born again. This idea that he's the one who has caused it. Interesting, because remember what I said, because the idea, by the way, of being born again, this idea of spiritual birth. There's all of you in this room. We all in this room, we've all had a physical birth, but the scriptures talk consistently about this idea that we have this spiritual birth. Not just that we're, we're aware spiritually, but actually is that where we were spiritually dead before is that something has happened and now we are spiritually alive. That's a spiritual birth. And so he says here is that God has caused this. So it's interesting because they're suffering because they align themselves with Jesus because they are spiritually born. And to which they might even think to themselves like why like maybe like why did I do that? That was a really poor decision. And what what I love what what Peter says is actually you didn't even do that. Do you know who caused your spiritual birth? My own free will. My decision. Yeah, okay, nice. But actually, God, God caused it. God, by his mercy, not because he's, you know, he wants to see you in pain. By his mercy, he has caused your spiritual birth. And he says, all of this, all of this happens 
through the resurrection. So you have been born again through the resurrection. What's the resurrection? Now, resurrection has really two main elements to a resurrection. Is that one, there was death, and then two, then there was life, right? Pretty basic. You can't have a resurrection unless there was first death, right? We don't, we don't, we don't say that about a, a baby, right? It's like, oh, look, my baby was resurrected. Like, no, they were, they were born, right? They were, they were born. There, there is life now. There wasn't life, but now there's life. But that's different than there was death. And where death reigned, now life reigns. That's resurrection. And what the scriptures tell us is that if we share in the death of Jesus, we will also share in the resurrection of Jesus. So where we were dead spiritually, now because of what Christ has done and the conquering of the grave, we are now alive. And so all of this, the spiritual birth has happened through the resurrection. And so now we, as he says, you, you are born again. But the question is, born to what? That's my question, should be your question. Like, born to what? Maybe I'll talk with, with parents or somebody who's, who's either thinking about bringing a child into this world, who is pregnant and bringing a child into this world, who are, or who has just brought a child into this world. Do you know what one of their questions is? What kind of world am I bringing this kid into? Ever thought that? That's a good question. Like, wait, wait, man. Wait, so they're going to be born, but what are they going to be born into? And what's this world going to look like when they're, they're 10, 20, 30? What are they being born into? And this is what Peter says. You're being born into a living hope. And what does this living hope look like? It's an inheritance. The, the New Testament consist, uh, frequently and consistently uses this idea of inheritance is basically your share in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is coming and you have an inheritance with it. Not one of like ownership, like I got my lot of land, off my land. I've got my, I got my lot already set out in heaven. That's not what he's talking about. You have an inheritance. In other words, you have a share in the kingdom to come. In other words, you have, a, you have a place at the table. You belong in the kingdom to come. You have an inheritance. And this inheritance is what he says. It's imperishable. It's not going to it's not gonna perish. It's not going to spoil. It's undefiled. It's pure, in other words. There's no defect in it. And it's unfading. It's not going anywhere. I love this. Imperishable, undefiled. It's kept in heaven, unfading. I think right now, like, I don't know about you, but like, I'm surrounded. In a, like, we live in a world where everything is perishing. Everything has defects. Everything is fading. In fact, most of our, most of our economy basically is built on this idea that things will perish. I will buy something. It will perish, it will fade, and then I'll buy the new thing that replaces the old thing. And this one is, is new, so it's nice and shiny, but, but it too was going to perish and fade and, and some sort of defect. And I love what, what, what Peter says is what you have an inheritance that's coming, your future is secure. Why? Because it's kept in heaven for you. Unfading, 
imperishable, undefiled. That's what's waiting for you. Now, there's a problem with inheritances. Is that inheritance, an inheritance can secure your future, but an inheritance doesn't do a lot for you in the present, does it? I mean, think about this idea. Like if you had a rich uncle, and your rich uncle told you, they said, your rich uncle told you, he said, when I die, every, like all of my, my whole estate, everything's going to come to you. And you're like, oh, that's wonderful. And you're looking at all of it, like his bank account, all the car, everything. Like, wow, when you die, all of this is going to come to me. Yeah. You go, that's amazing. And you think about the future in which all of that stuff may be yours. Well, I'll tell you what. That rich uncle and his inheritance will do you little good if you are currently hungry and homeless. In fact, actually, you don't have to go much through human history or even the news to realize is that there have been many times in, 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 in our world in which the, the idea of a future inheritance which secures the future, people go, I want that future now, and so I will just kill the person that will... It's going to give me the inheritance. In other words, I want that inheritance now, so we'll just, we'll speed up the process. We won't let nature take us away. I'll take the way. That way my future can be secured now because the, the inheritance doesn't do you much good today as it will in the future. And so even with this thing, here they are, they're suffering. And Peter's first word is, hey, you've got an inheritance on the way and it's amazing and it's not going anywhere and it's secured for you in heaven to which they probably would respond. But, but Peter, that's great. That's great. But what about today? And I think that's why Peter says it right there. You, who by God's power are being guarded through faith, for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In other words, not only has through the resurrection has your future been secured, but your present is guarded. This is the idea of guard is this idea of like a military, a military escort through hostile territory. That's the idea of guarded. So because not only is your future secure by the mercy of God, but your your present, your like right, like right now, your present is 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 being is being uh, secured and guarded by God Himself. And so, through the resurrection, this is what He's saying: through the resurrection, God has caused you to be born again, and with that new life, with that new hope. God has secured your future by his mercy. He is guarding your present by his power. He has secured your one day, and he is guarding your today. Is that how you feel? Do you feel secured and guarded by God himself? Yeah, I mean, did you, did you get in the car on the way to church this morning? Got in the car, and you're like, you know what? You know how I feel today? Getting ready to pull out of the garage. I feel like my, secure, my future is secured by God's mercy. You got to the first stoplight and you go, and you know what else I feel like today? I feel like my present day, like today I'm being guarded by His power. Yeah, probably not, right? <laughs> Maybe you did. I, I don't know if I did. And I, and I, and I knew what was coming. I don't know if I felt that. 
You probably didn't feel that. You know what that tells me? It tells me that something else is happening. Something else is at play, which is where Peter goes next in verse 7, sorry, 6. In this you rejoice, though for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so he says, in this you rejoice. What do I rejoice in? Well, Peter says you rejoice in the fact that your, your future is secured by God's mercy. Your present is guarded by his power. That's what you rejoice in. Although right now you may be you may be experiencing grief due to various trials. I love how he says various trials. I mean, I, I have a love-hate relationship with that. Because I think if I was writing the Bible, or if you were writing the Bible, thank the Lord that neither one of us wrote the Bible. But if we did, I think we would get to this place and we would say something like, if it just so happens that at some point in the far distant future, if there's a minor disturbance that maybe comes along your way, but just one, not plural, but there will be maybe one minor disturbance that will come your way, and in that one minor disturbance in your way, in years to come, you will prevail. That's not what Peter says. Peter says, various trials. What do you mean, Peter? Various trials. Oh, it could be all over. It could be your health. It could be your freedom. It could be your life. It could be your marriage. It could be your children. It could be your job. It could be your education, school. It could be anything. Various trials are going to come your way. And I love how he says, although they, they grieve you. I love what, what, what Peter says here. We have joy over here, but we, we, we grieve this over here. Isn't this a beautiful picture of life? We... We have joy here, but we grieve here. I don't know about you, but like, I, like most places in my life are these, these two rails of joy and grief. And, and, and what, what, what Peter says is that we have joy because of this, but there are some things that grieve us. It's interesting, I think, because we, we, we are buying into this lie that says that we should always be joyful all of the time. Always be joyful all of the time. I go, that, that doesn't work. You tried that, it doesn't work. Fake it till you make it. Well, no, it doesn't, doesn't work like that. Joy all the time. And I love the scriptures because they're honest. Because Peter's like, no, there's joy. There's a lot of joy, but there's, there's some grief to go with that. Now, I, I've met people that will avoid grief at all costs. All joy, all joy, all joy, no grief. The problem is that if you're, if you're all joy and no grief, you'll always be living in denial. But if you are like all grief and no joy, I know people like that too, you'll just always find yourself in a place of despair. 
And so whether you're in denial or despair, and, 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 and neither one's appropriate. And what, what he says here is that we, we hold these two together. We have joy in this. But there are some things in your life that are going to cause grief. The various trials. And although they're causing grief, they've got another purpose. They're doing something else in you. And what he says is that they are forming your faith. You know, I talk with people. I say, tell me about the most formative time of your life. You know what I get? A time of extreme trial. Interesting, isn't it? It's true for you too, right? You think about, what was the most formative time of your life? I go, yeah, it was mad. It was just time and just trial upon trial upon trial. Go, yeah, because trials form us. And this is what he's saying. He goes, he goes, so it's actually testing your face. And although there may be various trials, they'll come at you from di- different places, different intensity, is that they are going to have a purpose, one purpose. And their purpose is that they are going to, they're going to bring about a faith in you that when done, it will be tested. It'll be more precious. It'll be longer lasting than gold. You think about that, more precious and longer lasting than gold? I mean, we live in a world right now where gold is very valuable and it hasn't perished at all. And what Peter's saying is like, yeah, he gets that. He doesn't think, it's not like he thinks that gold perishes. He's like, I'm telling you, in comparison to the value of gold and the longevity of gold, is I'm telling you, when your faith comes out on the other end, it will be greater in longevity, it'll be greater in value than gold. Interestingly enough, is that sometimes we are unfaithful, right? Because we value gold or possessions or stuff or things more than we do being faithful. Yeah, sure. Just be unfaithful over here and you will get all of this. And, and what we do here is we say gold is more valuable than my faith. And Peter says, when God's at work in you, your faith is going to become more valuable to you than gold. And where is it going to lead? What does the text say? Where does it lead? To a place of honor, glory, and praise. My question to you, who's, refer, who's getting the honor, glory, and praise? Is it Jesus? Well, Je- yes, Jesus is getting honor, glory, and praise. But this text specifically, who's, who's it talking about that's getting the honor, glory, and praise? You. The faithful. Like this is where it's, this is where it's, it's leading you to. So I think one of the problems sometimes with suffering is that what we think is that we're suffering, we're going through a trial, we're going through a trial. And the way that, the, the way that it works in our mind is that we go, and when this trial comes to an end, when there's a resolution, I'm going to be the fool. I'll be the one that's ashamed. Like people will look at me and they, they, they will pity me. But that's actually what Peter says. Peter says, you're going to go through the trial. And not only you're, going to, you're not going to come out on the other end ashamed, actually. Not, that's, not only is that not going to happen, when you come out on the other end, guess what? You'll receive the praise, honor, and glory of Jesus by Jesus. And so, 
He says, this is where there, there's a day coming. There's a day coming when the, the grief will go away and all that will be left is the joy. And in that day, you will receive the honor, praise, and glory of God. And I love it because he's talking about the salvation that's going to be revealed. The salvation that's yet to be revealed. This is good because that means that this isn't salvation. People think like, if this is what salvation looks like, I don't know if I want it. It is not. It's still yet to be revealed. So then he goes on in verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Referring to Jesus. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And so what what Peter does here is he gives us two really important things about faith. The object of faith and the outcome of faith. You know, faith always, always has an object. In other words, it's always faith in something. People will tell you, just have, you got to have more faith. Just have more faith. As if faith is a, like a thing and it exists in a vacuum. Just have more faith. To which your, your follow-up question, because sometimes it's implied, is faith in what? Because faith always has an object. And what he does here, he goes, your faith has an object. And guess what's the object of your faith? Jesus is the object of your faith. Although you haven't seen him, you love him. Although you haven't seen him, you believe in him, you know him. He is the object of your faith. And not only is there an object of your faith, but there is an outcome of your faith. In other words, you're... Your faith is taking you somewhere. What does the text tell us? Where is it? What's its, what's its goal? What's its end? The salvation of your souls. You really want to mess with somebody? Because this is by, basically, this is the why. This is the why of faith. Why have faith? You really want to mess with somebody? Next time, like you're going through something difficult and somebody says something to you like that, like, hey, you just got to have more faith. Just follow that up really quickly with like, in what? Uh, um, 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 the system? No. Um, um, yourself. Have more faith. Okay. Like, I should, I should have more faith. Yeah, I have more faith in yourself, man. Okay. And you follow that one up with, why? Uh, well, um, I don't know. You're, you're hopeless. <laughs> you're hopeless. Like, you know, the reason why, you, you don't know. You don't know what the object of faith is to be. You don't know what the outcome of my faith is to be. And actually, Peter gives us both. Both, both the, the object is Jesus, and the outcome is the salvation of your souls. In other words, you are, you are being saved. This is, what it, this is how it reads. You are being saved. Unfortunately, a lot of times in Christianity, we use saved as an event, as a moment in time. And so we might say something, or I was like, uh, are you saved? Were you, were you saved? When were you saved? Are you saved? I'm saved. Are you saved? I'm saved. Is that guy saved? He's saved too. Okay. We're all saved. 
okay, we, now we've got to go and save other people. The problem is, is like, that's not actually how the Bible often uses like, this idea of, of, of being saved. It actually more is like this, this, like this present term. Like we are, so we are saved in a sense, but we are, we are being saved. Our salvation is, 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 is happening. And our salvation will come to a culmination. And so I, I, I would say like, I am born again. In other words, I, I'm spiritually alive and I am, I am being saved. And I'm certain that I will be saved because it says that my, my future is secure. And so when we, we look at this, this question, back to the beginning, of why is the resurrection important? And why is it the source of my joy? You know what Peter says? Peter says the resurrection is important because through the resurrection, God has given you life. And this life that he has given you, this living hope that he has given you, through, through, he's given to you, it, what it is, is, is he has secured your future by his mercy. He is guarding your present by his power. And in that, in that you have joy. Now this present grief, yeah, life is going to be, but you find joy in the fact that your future and your present are both guarded and secured by God. And in that you find, you'll find the joy. You'll find a deep joy. And so this is interesting thing that's happened is as, as people say, let's push the resurrection out to the fringes. It's not so central. And it doesn't have to be central. The problem is like Peter says that actually the resurrection is intricately tied with your spiritual birth with your future with your present standing with your joy with your faith and if you push the resurrection out to the fringes guess what else goes out to the fringes with it well your spiritual birth your future, your present, guarded by God, and your joy. But you bring it to the core. And guess what comes with it? Spiritual birth, your future, your present, and your joy. If you're not a Christian, you start, you start here. This is where you start. I'm going to start being a good person. Now you start with the resurrection. Jesus' death and resurrection. What did he do on the cross and what was accomplished at the resurrection? You start there. If you are a Christian, I, mean, I just pray like this morning will be an encouragement. An encouragement to you. And I don't know if you need to hear that you're being guarded or that you're secure. But this morning, as we celebrate the resurrection, as it's gaining up speed, and as it's picking up people, billions, of celebrating this today, as sure as that is, 
as sure as that is, as we've seen at least 2,000 years of history of that, as sure as that is, it's by that same power, by that same mercy, that God has secured something for you, a future with Him, and He is guarding you for today. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your power. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you that we have reason to celebrate this morning. We thank you that, 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 that the tomb is empty. But this wasn't, it was, it was, it was, this is about the world. Jesus, may, may your resurrection not be on the fringe in our life. May it not be the fringe on the fringe in this church. May it be central. May it be core. Because with it comes everything else. Thank you that you have secured our future. That it is undefiled, imperishable, unfading, kept by you. Thank you that you have guarded us. God, I pray that you would guard us today. We pray that our faith would be strengthened. That it would stand. And that it would be more precious to us than gold. May we achieve through the resurrection the outcome of the faith. Which is the salvation of our souls. We love you. We pray for these things in your name. Amen.